It's so good to talk to you from God's Word again today. We are in a season where we are um, wrestling with the, the, the desire in us, and I think God's desire as well, for revival. And uh, so my theme is, come wrestle with us for revival. Let me read our passage that we're going to read for the next couple of weeks. Uh, every time we preach uh, and again and again. And you're going to know this passage. And I think you already know it. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Let me remind you again, the word revival means an improvement of a condition. It means to strengthen. It means to strengthen something or someone. So you can revive things or people. Uh, revival in a church context normally means to, to be awakened as a church or a church community, to be revived. Something, therefore, that is not completely dead, but it does show signs that it's not doing well. And time and time in, in the scripture, there is times where Israel were revived in their faith. And the same for us. It's almost like we're going in waves. From time to time, we are so passionate about God. And we want to move mountains for God. And we'll witness and we'll do anything that God expects us to do. And then it seems like we take our dips. And we've got to be reminded and sometimes rebuked and stirred into seeking God with all our hearts again. It is my opinion. And I know that many pastors will share this opinion with me. That the church worldwide, but let's speak about the church in South Africa. Let's come closer home and say the Barn Christian Fellowship is in need of a revival. I'm saying this because I have seen over the years a definite decline spiritually. Definitely not an incline. We are declining spiritually. You see, I'm not referring to numerical growth today, friends. Because so many times people think, well, the numbers are growing. That does not necessarily mean that we are being revived. You see, there is no growth. I think there is a decline in our passion. There is a decline in our commitment. There is a decline in our effectiveness as church in our community. And I thank God for the things that we are doing. But I'm stirring you. We are preaching to you, speaking to you from this verse. If my people who are called by my name, and God has a plan and a, and a, and a, and a desire for communities as well. You see, the temperature of the church, my friend, is not measured by numbers, but it's measured by its fruit and you and I are the church and all we can do today is asking ourselves what kind of believer am I am I revived am I passionate about God what kind of fruit am I showing in my home in my church and in my community as well you see let's go back to that verse a few times I'm going to take you back to that verse and and I want to I want to start with the end of the verse and then come back to a passage today of, of a word that I really want us to think about. You see, the end of the verse is that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their lands. So God gives us a condition to meet and then he says he will meet a condition. And the condition is that he in the end will heal our land. It is true, isn't it? That this is the kind of pro promise that you and I want. If I tell you, isn't it your desire? 
Haven't you maybe prayed with me a number of times over the last months and maybe even years, Lord, that you would heal our land? You see, our reason might be selfish. Maybe you are asking God to heal the land because you want your own bacon to be saved here as well. Maybe we are correct to say that there's a cry, and we agree on it today, that there is a cry in our hearts to say, Lord, heal our land. Heal South Africa. None of us have not prayed this at least five times in the last year. I've prayed it regularly. Lord, heal our land. Our hearts are longing for a healing during these times that we are living in. And I don't have to tell you, you can see it all over. We're living in a time of extreme corruption. We're living in a time of extreme lawlessness. And there is a need in this beautiful country of us for revival. And as I said last week as well, that revival, my friend, is not going to start with the unbeliever. That revival is going to start with me, with you, with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we say, Lord, heal our land, I stand in front of that wall with a number of people who are praying with us every day from 6 to 7, Monday to Sunday. And we are crying out there as well, Lord, heal our land from this COVID-19, this virus that's impacting our families, that's impacted us personally as well. Heal our land. You see, we are desperate. We are desperate in many different ways for God to do something in our country. My friend, when I read God's promises in the Word, there's hardly a promise where there's not a condition that people need to meet as well. When, when the conditions are met, then God also fulfills His promise to us. Let me take you through a number of those before we come back to this verse. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9, it tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believed in our hearts that He is raised from the dead, then we will be saved. What is the condition? The condition is that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is raised, then you will be saved. How many of us are meeting these conditions? Maybe believing in my heart, but not confessing with my mouth. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says that Christ is standing at our life's door and knocking. He's knocking. And if we open the door, then he will come in and have a relationship with us. Here is the promise and there is a condition as well. If you open the door, then he will come in. He will come in and have fellowship with him. And the opposite is also true, folks. If you do not open that door, he is not obliged to come in. What if we start our relationship with God through Christ and we sin? What promise does the scripture give you and me today uh, when it comes to forgiveness? Listen to this. And I've quoted it to myself and to others so many times over the years. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yet again, there is a condition and then there's a promise. If you confess your sin, then he will be faithful to forgive. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 and 15, we are told that if we refuse to forgive others their sins, then our Father will not forgive us our sins either. You see, we can go on with these conditions uh, that God 
almost all the time give us in Scripture. In John chapter 15 verse 4 it says, If we remain in Him, then He will remain in us. You see, and you can work with the opposites as well. It, it, if we choose not to remain in Him, then He will not in, re, be remaining in us either. And that relationship with God is a two-way thing. And I thank God that He often does knock at our door when we do not remain in Him. He doesn't just give up on us. Thank God for that. You see, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, it speaks about the church in Sardis. And God tells them to repent. And He goes on to say that if they will overcome, then they will be worthy and dressed in white. But if not, their names will be blotted out of the book of life. This is a serious condition here as well. People who have walked with God. But if you do not continue, your names, God says, will be blotted out. Repentance is needed here. Otherwise, our names will not be. We will not be worthy for our names to be written in the book of life. Promise. Condition. Condition is always there. Most of God's promise. Repentance is needed and we've gone through them as well. I've only mentioned a few. There must be a number of others that you can write down as well if you do your research. Let's come back to this passage that I've read last week and this week as well. If my people, and, and, and the word if already indicates there's going to be a condition. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then... There's the promise. So what is the condition? I want us to look at a few conditions over the next week. Listen to this. If my people will do what? Will humble themselves. And that's what I want to concentrate on today. If my people will humble themselves. You know, folk, I believe in my heart. And I do believe in the sovereignty of God. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that the the healing of the land, according to this verse, is almost in your hands and in my hands as well. If we will do certain things, then God will heal our land. So there's a condition and there's a promise connected to this as well. God does not say, if the sinners out there repent and turn to Him. He says, if my people will come back to me if my people will humble themselves. That is the first condition. And we're going to look at a few in the next few weeks as well. There is a call to humility. And you know, humility has almost got two legs or two aspects to this. The one, is con the one part of this humility is in our relationship to one another. The human response to other humans, to other people. And then in the second one, the word humility speaks about our response to God, our relationship with God. You see, when I look at the way that God works, it seems like God uses humility as a platform or a basis from which He works in humans, through humans, and also through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's quickly look at the word what, what, uh, um, humility and what it means in the dictionary. Humility means the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Now we're living in society where, where, where we want to build our egos and, and build our self-esteem. And, and, and it says here yeah, a modest view, a realistic view of your own importance. 
Humility means being the freedom from, from pride or arrogance. It means down to earthliness. It means meekness, not weakness, meekness. It says that Moses was the, the meekest man that ever walked the earth. And he led thousands, millions of Israelites. So he was not weak. Modesty. All right. Now let's come to, to, to words that are maybe opposite to humility. Arrogance. Conceited. Egotistic. Lordliness. Pompous. Pretense. Superiority. You know, this is not just in the world. We're talking about the church. And I'm telling you, there are many of us that are struggling with this kind of stuff in our lives as well. The Cambridge English Dictionary says that humility, being humble, is the feeling or the attitude that you have no special importance that makes you better than others. You know, it almost sounds like the Bible. And that is exactly what God expects you and me to do as well. So let's go to that first leg or the first arm of this humility. On a human one-to-one -one basis, on a man-to-man -man basis. You know, we are followers of Christ, aren't we? Most of us are listening to this uh, uh, talk today, are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important to learn from our master. It is important to learn from our teacher. And he sets the most beautiful, but also one of the most difficult examples in humility. Humility, as I said earlier on, I believe is the platform from which Jesus launched his ministry or one of the pillars of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to a passage that we have read so many times. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 to 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. He was already part of what humility is. Do nothing out of selfish uh, ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourself. This already is such a uh, uh, an enormous task, an enormous thing that God expects from us. Value others better above yourself. Not looking at your own interest, but each one of you looking at the interest of others. You know, the best time to be tested, whether we are looking at the interest of others or in times of need like now. Are we looking out for the interest of others? Then it goes on to say, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me read verse 7 from another translation. Being emptied himself. In other words, Jesus emptied himself from being God, from being superior, from being who he was, the creator of this earth, taking on the form of a bond servant. That's your example. That's my example. That's the tall order. 
That is the task ahead. Matthew chapter 13 verse 15 tells us that Jesus did not come from a palace. Jesus was not born from royalty. He says, is that not the carpenter's son, they said? Is his mother not called Mary? And his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Is that not the carpenter's son? In other words, is he not the son of a, of a person working with his hands out there? Not a very important person maybe? In those days, in Luke chapter 9, verse 15, 8, Jesus says, I have no place to sleep. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He did not own anything. The Bible tells me so. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor. Where was he rich? He was rich when he was in heaven. He was, he was God. He was the son of God. He became poor for our sake that, through, that you through his poverty might become rich. And that's eternal. That's eternal. Hebrews chapter 4, 15. We do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weakness. He's gone through what you and I have gone through. Oh, let's close this, this couple of passages that I've read with John chapter 13, verse 5. And I'm going to just tell you what it is. So, so he begins ministering to his disciples right before he was crucified. And then he takes a bowl. And he brings them, uh, as the custom was, people used to wash their feet at the door. But now Jesus sits there and he says, come, I want to wash your feet. My dear friends, and some of these disciples were so uncomfortable with this and says, no, Lord, you can't do this. And then he says, if I don't do this, you won't have part of me. And Jesus continues then to wash their feet. And you know how he ends this experience that you and I have read many times? When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand? understand what I have done for you he asked you call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so that's who I am now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet I have set you an example that you should not consider, that you should not think about, that you should not do when you like to, that you should not do if you wish to. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. My friend, how often have you and I prayed, Lord, make me more like you. Lord, use me. If you pray these prayers, let me tell you, my friend, you and I got to be very careful. Because when God takes us serious in these prayers, let me tell you what he hands you and me. He hands you and me an apron. An apron. And a bowl. And he says, go and wash other people's feet. In other words, go and serve other people. And you know what happens? And it happens time and time, not just once in your life. I have had painful experiences where I felt God handed me an apron and a bowl and said, go down this road of humility. That's what I want you to do as I did. Humility is feeling dead to yourself. The test of true humility is how dead are you and I really to ourselves. And the test is very quickly when I'm offended. You see, dead people don't get offended. The test is very much in the amount of sacrifice I'm willing to make for other people. 
The test is very much when I do something and you get the credit for it, how I handle it. Even if you steal my glory and the glory belongs to the Lord. But you hear what I'm saying. You see, humility is something that does not just come naturally to us. We're not born with humility. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says us to put it on like a garment. Put it on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. Clothe yourself. And there are certain times where you wear clothes for certain occasions. In winter, you wear more clothes. And certain times in your life, you're going to need more humility when you are more tested. So I have to put it on. It doesn't just come upon me. And then it says, I've got to put it on and walk in it. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Love it. Walk in it. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. You see, my dear friend, humility is demonstrated in servanthood. Humility is demonstrated when you and I, as Jesus, do not see ourselves better than others or equal with God. Jesus demonstrated humility and is asking us, he says, do as I did to put on a garment and to be a servant. Why can't we? Why do we battle so much? I think because pride is so strong still in our lives. You see, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will take on an apron, if. The second aspect of the humility is in our relationship towards God. Sometimes this word, when, 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 when it's the word humility is used, it is used in the context of a king or a ruler or somebody more important than us or a lot more important to us. And, and, and then it refers to bending the knee. In other words, humility in this context then means I bend the knee as a sign of respect and honor to that specific person. It is a posture of humility to bend the knee. You see, kneeling has long been understood that it's an appropriate posture when you come towards a king, a ruler, a very important person. It is a humble submission, a sign of, of humble submission to that person's authority. It is a way to honor him. And so when it comes to humility towards the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God himself, who is the deity, there is no earthly king that ever, ever will compare to him. He says, you approach me if my people will humble themselves. You approach the deity with humility, acknowledging that he is supreme and he is the ruler. On bended knee I come to him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 to 21. Paul prays this prayer and he says this. For this reason, I was praying for the church in Ephesus. And he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. 
I pray. How does he pray? He prays on bended knee before the Father. In other words, there's an acknowledgement of the ruler, the king of kings. If my people will humble themselves. If my people called by my name will humble themselves. You see, I don't have to tell you we're living in an era where we claim our rights. Our right to education. Our right to electricity. Our right to housing. Our, our right to free stuff wherever. And not all of it is so wrong. You see, but the question we've got to ask then as a believer is, as a believer, do I claim my rights? I've heard so many sermons on, you are an heir, co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, claim your right as a son of God. I don't find that in the Bible, my dear friend. I don't find that in the Bible. In fact, in Matthew, and you can go and read that verse, chapter 38, uh, chapter 5, verse 38 to 42, it says that Jesus gives us an example here. Is, you said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He says, ah, 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 ah. It's not payback time. Do not resist an evil person. If he slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. And if anyone wants uh, to, to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In other words, what Jesus is telling you and me, Christians, you have no right. You have no right to retaliate. You have no right to things. You have no right to your own time as well, in a sense. You have no right to your money because it belongs to God. You have have no right to your own rights. Rather, in all our relationships and all our possessions are held, listen to me, in trust by the Lord Jesus Christ. In trust by the Lord Jesus Christ. Which means the obedient thing to do in my relationship with people and with things is to use them as Jesus would do which is to help others. You see, as a child, a co-heir has a bright future. As a child of God, a co-heir has a bright future. I don't know if you know, but it's going to blow your mind when we enter into the presence of God one day. But it's a privilege. It's not a right. And especially because we cannot earn our salvation or our future with God. It is a privilege to one day Come into the presence of God and see the glorious King of Kings on the throne and talk to the Holy Spirit. It is a privilege when we come daily into His presence and we come into the presence of a deity. Not the old man upstairs, not somebody who's equal to you, not somebody that we can just, it's not our chomi. And yes, we have a relationship with Him. But my dear friend, we come into His throne room with confidence. confidence I know that. But we're coming into the throne room of a deity of a deity and do you know what this deity is saying to us he's saying the condition for me to heal your land is humility the condition is that you approach your fellow man this is what God's saying that you approach your fellow man and you approach me with humility. That's the challenge. The healing won't come. Unless we meet these conditions. We'll go over some more conditions next week. But God is speaking to his church in these days. And he says one of the conditions. For me to heal your land. Is from the leader. To whatever else position you may hold in the church. To have an approach. 
when it comes to your fellow man to wear an apron to serve them and when it comes to God you come on bended knee you see we are too cocky with God and the things of God it's time pastor it's time life group leader it's time businessman who has a very important job out there. It's time whether you're a street sweeper or whatever you may think is not a, is a lowly job. It is time you approach your fellow man with an apron and God on bended knee. Are we okay with this? Are we asking God still to heal the land? Are you still going to pray with us to heal the land? Are you still going to pray with us for revival? If that is okay, then are you okay with this condition? Humility. Then you can pray for revival with us. Father, we are so proud. We struggle with humility. We struggle to be servants. And we struggle to bend the knee to earthly authority and especially also to heaven, to a deity, to a God that is much bigger than us. Will you work in our hearts, these hearts of flesh, in Jesus' name.